one of the driving forces behind disclosure is the huge amount of evidence out there all the researchers all the witnesses the fact that these ets have been flying around for so long it's reached a point where if our government doesn't take steps towards disclosure they're going to become not credible Welcome back. I'm here again with Preston Dennett. Preston, welcome back. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming back. I always appreciate you coming on the show and you always have tremendous insights. You're like an encyclopedia when it comes to this topic. So I really appreciate it. So <laughs> I think since last we talked, we actually... To our credit, we did, I think, two episodes on this. You went through a bunch of the crash retrievals, and then we also went through the Wilson memo, yeah. uh, you know, a few months ago. And now, well, depending on what's true and what's not true and all that good stuff, this is probably really a reality. So let's, stepping all the way back, for folks who've been kind of living with their heads in the sand. David Grush, an Air Force veteran, former NRO, NGA employee, made these allegations that our country has had for decades, a crash retrieval program, a reverse engineering effort, et cetera, et cetera. Michael Schellenberger has even reported or gone on to report that we may have anywhere from at least 12 craft, six of which were almost fully intact, six that were not intact in various states of disrepair. Grush has also alluded to the fact that when you have crashes, sometimes you have pilots and sometimes you find bodies. So all that aside, so folks have that background, what do you think of Grush's claims thus far? Well, certainly nothing new. He's one in a long, long line of whistleblowers from various military sources. So, and a lot of what he's saying, yeah, has absolutely been said before, over and over again. I find it very interesting that he's getting so much attention. A lot of these other guys aren't getting national press coverage, and he is. So I kind of wonder about that. Well, define national press coverage, though, right? Because the Washington Post wasn't able to, was slow moving it, so they ultimately didn't get the story. The New York Times has absolutely refused to report it. Yeah. But it is bubbling up to some, like it might show up on a Fox News here and there. But I'm almost shocked, not even shocked, I'm not shocked actually at all. I'm not shocked at all, but... <laughs> it, it almost feels like there is some sort of blackout on this story at at least the major newspapers, which had credibility 10 years ago. I, I think now they just literally write down whatever folks in the Pentagon and, and CIA tell them to write. But I think the absence of kind of mentioned by more credible and by credible, I mean very, very loosely. Let's say officially state-sanctioned media at this point has been remarkably quiet about this. 
So anyway, go go. But you're saying that the fact that he's getting national, I mean, but he is getting some national attention with like News Nation and things like that. Okay. So it's what do you think is the, the internet? Yeah, I mean, this is the, the, all yeah. the Facebook groups and you know where where people do get a lot of their news these days. It's not so much from TV even, but yeah, this is a hot topic on all the UFO groups out there. There's posts left and right about David Grush. He's getting a lot of attention compared to the many, many other whistleblowers out there. And why do you think that is? I think it's the current climate for one reason, in that there has been, you know, congressional hearings recently and a lot of people taking this seriously, the formation of ARO, the AARO. What's it called? The All Domain Anomaly Reconnaissance Office. Resolution Office. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, recently there was a segment on 60 Minutes. I mean, there's been a lot of steps forward in terms of disclosure. So I think that's one of the reasons. He also does have a pretty much unimpeachable resume. He's clearly who he says he is. So I think that lends him a certain level of credibility. And he's, of course, got a very interesting story that is, you know, following the narrative that's been said for quite some time. I don't know, though. I find it very strange that he's getting so much attention for a lot, because there's so many whistleblowers. I mean, I've interviewed some myself. And mm-hmm. I think most major researchers have got multiple cases like this. And Stephen Greer has been marching them out for years and years. And he's, you know, beating up against a brick wall, like I think most researchers are trying to get this information out. So I do find that a little curious. And also strange to me is he's getting sitting up there in his the interview chair and saying, oh, I've got NDAs that I've signed right, left and right, and then breaking them, essentially, just telling all this information. So I don't know. There's The whole disclosure process is clearly tightly controlled. And this isn't by any means what I would call disclosure. This is a whistleblower account. And I think this is an important distinction because our government has been 100% silent on this. No comments really at all. This is not a sitting member of the military. He's retired, right? He's out of service. So this, I think we need to distinguish that, that this is not our government saying UFOs are real. This is just one guy who worked within government an intelligence officer, yeah, but it's not disclosure that I think we're looking for or would like to have from a sitting government worker or leader, more preferably. But what yeah. do you think's driving this? Like, why now? You know, I wish I knew. I can only speculate, which I hate to do, but you can't help it in this field. Because it's for how many decades have we had absolutely no movement whatsoever from government circles, decade upon decade? There's been very little in terms of official government studies. There was, of course, Blue Book, the Robertson Panel, and the Condon Committee, which all said, there's nothing to this, go away. It's no national security threat. UFOs aren't real. And that has. By, by the way, I was interviewing uh, Robert Salas and. That's when, during the period of the Condon Committee investigations, that's when they shut down, or UFOs 
shut down his nukes. And it's almost as if the phenomena, whatever you want to call it, wanted to make itself very visible during that Condon committee investigation. It's almost as if someone were following our politics and government and things like that. And they covered it up. Those reports at Malmstrom did not make it into the Condon committee hearings. Yeah, but they're being talked about now. They were brought up during mm-hmm. the recent congressional hearings. It was mentioned during his Grush's interview, which I find fascinating because it is a very well-known case. Mm-hmm. He actually talked about it, Grush specifically mentioned Malmstrom, like, is this an investigation by the ETs? Is this a threat by them? Uh, I find that case particularly interesting because I personally did interview a witness who stepped forward. His name is Mel Hansen, and his Mm -hmm. testimony is not well known. I don't know if I ever covered it with you. No, you didn't. Let's take a quick detour to talk about that one, and then we'll come back to the main event. Yeah, because I think it's pertinent here, actually because this incident keeps coming up and I think there's good reason for it. It's an amazing case with a lot of witnesses and it's not just Robert Salas. There's many other people who've stepped forward and this guy contacted me because he said he contacted a couple of other researchers and got the brush off. And I'm like, huh, well, that's strange because when I realized who he was, which I was able to verify his story, I mean, he's one of the main witnesses to the Malmstrom incident. He worked on one of the sites as a maintenance officer. He had a whole team. He was the head of the team. Mm-hmm. Was on there on that night in March of 1967 when he was topside while his team was down below in the site itself doing routine maintenance and checkups just to make sure everything's running smoothly. There was nothing wrong with the missile site. And looking up, he saw the stars being occluded. He couldn't see a shape of what this thing was so much, but just the stars were disappearing. So he's looking up. There's, of course, security officers around him. He's in a Jeep. And he says, this thing, I couldn't tell you how big or how high it was, which I like that he said that because if someone says, oh, this is exactly how big it was. Well, they're kind of guessing because if you don't know how the height, yeah, it's very hard to tell. But he said he had the impression it was quite low because it did fill up a good portion of the sky. And an eerie silence settled over the whole area, which is something you do here. Because these are widely separated missile sites. I mean, many, mm-hmm. many miles between each one of them. And yeah, it's a mile from the control or the launch station for each one at least, or a mile or more. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, in fairly rural areas with lots of wildlife around them. So none of the crickets or anything was going off. And again, these are, this is an important point, independent systems. Not One is not hooked up to the other They're as sort of a fail-safe sort of thing. And they're but cabled it, underground, like 60 feet underground. So you can't just, you know, it's not like they're radioing, radio controlled, right? Yeah, another important point concerning what happens next. <laughs> His testimony was amazing. He said he paid attention to his NDA. He was not allowed to talk about it, which I'll get into in a second. But he decided he would step forward because he heard it being discussed on TV. And I think it was Unsolved Mysteries. He's like, well, if they're talking about it, I guess I can. He's elderly. He's like, I want to do my part for disclosure. And 
he saw this thing come down or pretty much just appeared there. He didn't actually see it move in so much. And suddenly he looked up and noticed this thing was moving over the site. So he gets out of the Jeep and he's looking at this thing. He's stunned. He's amazed. And suddenly, without warning, the power goes out at the whole site. Now, these sites do have fail-safes, of course. Mm -hmm. Immediately after the power went out, it went back on. With, I believe it was generator, the diesel generator kicked in, and the power went back on. But that was only for a moment before that went out. And again, the power went back on because they have batteries. <laughs> so the battery fail-safe kicked in, but then that went out. So both fail-safes were tripped or went out. So this was clearly a deliberate thing. That's, he certainly felt so. And he radioed into the base central and said, hey, this thing is hovering over the site. The power's out. And they said, stay in your Jeep. Don't do anything. Just wait and we will send people out. And it takes them about 40 minutes to get out there. So they sure enough showed up with all the security folks and he was ordered off the site left all their tools and everything and went back to the base central where he was debriefed for hours pretty much all night and told that he was never to speak about this not even with his co-workers with his friends with his spouse nobody which he says he obeyed except for his best friend who was one of the guys there and occasionally they would talk about it briefly but no <laughs> He did not talk about it for years and years and years. And it wasn't until he saw this being advertised on TV that he started reaching out to researchers. Yeah, good witness. And I think another piece of evidence that shows that this was a real event. And there are documents released through the Freedom of Information Act that talk about mm -hmm. how this went out. There's no mention, of course, of the UFO. <laughs> uh, it was effectively covered up for a long time. and probably would have remained that way if not for Robert Salas. But yeah, well, David Rush brought this up, which I thought was very interesting and sort of laid it out as a possible threat. Uh, I think, honestly, it was just a warning because that is something the ETs do seem to be very concerned about from a contactee angle. This is a message a lot of contactees get is the dangers of our use of nuclear material in any capacity. And Robert Salas, I think, would echo that point because he made it very clear to me that while the ETs had shut off the logic coupler on these, or I shouldn't say that they did that, that, that was Boeing's when Boeing did a bench test, that was their best, their best guess. But these logic couplers were responsible for essentially the inertial guidance systems of these Minutemen one missiles. So, but he did stress to me that they did not damage the missiles at all. Yeah, an important point. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that they've done all sorts of things in terms of, you know, their abilities with technology. They just shut them down. I yeah. can't imagine how the top brass must have thought about that. Because if they have the ability to do that, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they could have set them off if they were a real dangerous threat, right? In terms of, I shouldn't say dangerous. They could be dangerous if they wanted to be, but... Could have taken as a 
Uh, yeah, yeah. It made them disappear. Could have made them. Could have detonated them for all we know if their intentions were nefar- nefarious, right? But they did kind of the least possible path of demonstrating that they can shut these things off at any time. But they didn't harm anybody. They didn't put them in a situation where they like the the crews were radiated or anything like that. So. Yeah, but apparently it had to be multiple objects because this was different from the one that the red object that was hovering over the front gates, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. very much what I would I think is a display, a purposeful showing. And also important, as I mentioned, it's not just this one site that went down. No, they all went down. Independent systems. That's yeah. a big, big deal. Yeah, 10 nuclear missiles. And this was the second or third such incident because it happened to Oscar flight, which was the one that Salas was, was part of, but also ha- happened to echo flight prior to that, I think eight to 10 days beforehand. Cause the OSI, by the time that they had come and met with Salas's commander, who was a B 17 pilot. So, you know, all about that. Right. And he was white and those guys like the fact that he survived world war ii as a b-17 pilot is a testament to how scared this guy was but there was also an incident at minot air force base where they actually have radar returns of a craft there's a b-52 that flew over it to check it out and now they're not you know they're like 1960s style black and white so you can't really see it but it's it looks like it's just a disc shaped object that they flew over and to your point they wanted to be seen or at least it appeared that they wanted to be seen yeah so and and that's just the tip of the iceberg i mean bob hastings wrote a book ufos and nukes there's case after case after case like this and you know the that malmstrom witness is one of i think four or five military whistleblowers that i personally talked to now mind you i didn't call reporters and say you gotta interview this guy so he didn't really get any attention. But yeah, I've talked to a guy who was on the USS Klamagor, which did have nuclear-tipped torpedoes, and he had an amazing event in 1971. I talked to Gary Wagoner, who was on USS Long Beach off the coast of Catalina Island. This is nuclear-powered, this giant carrier. And they had a major incident I talked to another guy who was a subcontractor working at Edwards Air Force Base. He's civilian, yes, but he worked at the base itself and saw what he thought was a UFO. He was later told, no, this was reverse engineering. But yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not alone. (laughs) The whistleblowers are coming out of the woodwork. It's not just 10 or 20, as Grush kind of intimated, like, oh, there's tens of us out there maybe even hundreds. I mean, quite a bit more than that. Even Arrow, the way that it was structured, it was always structured to be a smokescreen, right? As you know, they only had Title 10 authority, whereas all these programs and projects, or many of them, are going to be Title 50. Title 50, in terms of secrecy, supersedes Title 10. So someone with Title 10 cannot get information from, you know, so if you go to a special access program, as Sean Kirkpatrick and say, do you have any programs and things like that? They'll just say, yeah, go F yourself. <laughs> we don't have to give you anything. 
So it's almost as if it was a fait accompli before it even started. Yeah, I mean, we saw this with Blue Book, which we now know that any cases that affected national security, quote, in any way, bypassed Blue Book and went to the ATIC, Air Technical Intelligence Command. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All the good cases, of course, never even reached Blue Book. And they still had a bundle of them that they never were able to explain. I actually interviewed, why am I not remembering his name? He worked at the Foreign Technology Officer right. Center at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He was also the director of Project Stargate. But while he was working at Wright-Pat, I asked him, were you familiar with any of these? Because he, I think he sat right next to the, his building was right next to the Blue Book office. And he said that, you know, no, like, they, like he did, he wasn't aware of any of these things. But I come to see, like, watch a, an episode of the Richard Dolan show, and he's just like, yeah, he worked on that stuff too. But what is he going to tell me? You know, he's not going to, he's not authorized to, I don't know. I, yeah. Lynn Buchanan will just say, I'm not authorized. He's just like, I can't, I can't talk about it. And that's it. But either this guy didn't have any, exposure to it or he just lied to me so wouldn't surprise me it's funny because one of the very first interview actually the first interview that i actually did that was official that i recorded was with a lieutenant colonel because <laughs> my father just happened to be you know in the movie business and was working on starman the series and this oh guy, yeah okay remember that show they had was taken off after the movie starman with jeff bridges and karen allen i think but at any rate, they had hired this guy, Duncan Wilmar, Lieutenant Colonel Duncan Wilmar, as a consultant. My dad's like, you got to interview him. You're into UFOs, interview him. I'm like, oh, well, okay. So this was my first interview I ever did. I was, I think, 19 years old. And I recorded it, of course. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get the scoop. This is amazing. I'm talking to a Lieutenant Colonel. Because he said he worked right next to Project Blue Book, right down the hall, and talked with these guys. And he towed the party line from the beginning of the interview to the end. Said, "There's nothing to it. Or snake oil salesman. Anyone thinks they saw a UFO is lying, hallucinating, or misperceiving." Which was the blue book line. Those those three explanations. Every case, <laughs> pretty much, it had to be one of those. They pushed that. So yeah, I was. I got nothing out of him. I tried. <laughs> but yeah, now it's bothering me that I can't remember his name. I'm gonna make sure that I do that because that's not. It's not fair to anybody that, particularly the person I interviewed. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's Ray Szymanski you're talking about. No, 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 for sure it's not. If you said his name, I would know. And, and, uh, here it is, Dale Graff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. He do, he doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> I got I I was able to arrange an interview because I had kind of worked my way through most of the remote viewers of Project Stargate, and he also does a lot of work on precognitive dreams and things like that. Oh, really? That's awesome. So, but yeah, he's he, his first role kind of is he worked in the Defense Intelligence Agency, and then before that, he did a lot of technical intelligence for the Air Force. So he would actually look at MIGs, Soviet MIGs and things like that, which is why he was at Wright-Pat, because they actually do do that as well, right? That's kind of the 
official oh. reason for their existence and it is what they do but well it's interesting he's also doing precognitive dreams which seems kind of the opposite side of the spectrum well no i mean it's like that one of his follow-on assignments was project stargate right so he was in charge of the remote viewers and tasking remote viewers and things like that so to go from air force technical intelligence to remote viewing i don't think it's just a, a switch and again if it's a core secret what's he gonna don't get me started on NASA with their new group that they formed. And they said, there's a guy who I've interviewed on my show and I like a, a lot. I think he's a great guy. And I don't think he has any idea about these programs, but that just the smug arrogance. And I'm not saying those people knew, right? Because why would you put people up there who knew these core secrets and compromise them? So, I mean, they very well may have believed that there was nothing, but just the smug, it's just like, we need data, we need data. Like, I can convict somebody with two hobos and a hooker in this country mm-hmm. on, just on their testimony, right? But, like, you need, like, seven levels of multispectral data to prove that, you know, in trillions of stars that there's life. Are you Are you nuts? Anyway, sorry, I want to hear your take. Nobody wants to hear my take. They've heard my take. Well, no, I I kind of agree. Like, what? You need more data? Pick up a UFO book. How many decades has this subject been studied in depth? And it it just amazes me that someone like me, who really has no scientific, you know, certainly formal training, (laughs) honestly, I'm a bookkeeper. That's what I did for a living for 35 years. I love science. Don't get me wrong. I did educate myself through college but i'm really not the guy to be heading up a official ufo investigation when there's so many scientists out there and resources and companies like nasa organizations that should have tackled this long ago and i think probably did for them to say oh we need more data is just laughable to me it's like when moultrie and daly during the congressional hearing said no, we have no reporting on Malmstrom. <laughs> we were not briefed on that. Oh, really? <laughs> Are you not the head of defense? I mean, that's not credible. And they lied flat out. I thought they were under oath and are not allowed to do this, but they said, you know, no, we've never shot at these things. Well, anyone who's done even the briefest amount of research into this subject knows we've shot at UFOs many times. Well, I would go back to the testimony and just be very careful because there's a good chance that they didn't lie, but they use weasel words, right? So if you're listening to their testimony, they might say things like, in the data that we've collected for the Arrow, or the, you know, the All Domain Resolution Office, we have not seen any credible blah, blah, blah to show that, or they'll say any verified data to show that they fired at our craft. So they'll narrow the scope of the data where there's probably legitimately no examples of that specific thing and they'll say this or or even nasa they're like we're only looking at stuff going forward you have 80 years of data you're complaining that you don't have data but it's not in the right formats it's not like (laughs) we don't have infrared this and that's like yeah well i think that's one of the techniques that you know, the guys behind the cover-up do when they're setting up these offices. Let's bring in somebody who knows nothing about this. I don't know. I mean, I can't really say that because I don't know. But it's astonishing to me that they would not know about Malmstrom. 
And they did. They said flat out, no, we have not shot at them. They did not, you know, sort of, what would you call it, pivot in any way. <laughs> you know, and when Grush was being interviewed, I noticed he, he pivoted a few times. They asked him flat out, have you seen any craft? He said, no. Have you seen any bodies? No, but I've talked to people. Do you, have you seen any evidence whatsoever? You know, and he said, well, yeah, there, I saw photographs of some interesting things. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Anything can be interesting. <laughs> I mean, a sunset can be an interesting photograph. Uh, he had this tendency to sort of pivot each time he was asked directly. He wouldn't just say yes or no. And he's turning over all this evidence, he says, to, to the, the guys. Well, what is that? I mean, just tell us what you're turning over. And he's saying, oh, you know, this would violate my NDA. I'm like, well, aren't you violating your NDA right now? Uh, I don't know. So as I, I mean, you could probably so, do that better than me. Yeah, so as I understand it, it sounds like he was a member of ATIP or whatever precursor organization existed before Arrow. And people were coming to him who were working on these programs as whistleblowers. And he was collating all this information. So I kind of understand where he's coming from, but I think as he was collating all this information, he probably, again, this is all speculation on my part. He probably saw people at higher levels kind of discount it and kind of ignore it and things like that. And I think he started pushing for, you know, more disclosure and started getting more aggressive. So what ended up happening was, he was removed from certain special access programs with no explanation. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but this is what he, he yeah, this is his allegation. Yeah, this is allegation. So so he used that to file a complaint with the first inspector general of IC of the intelligence community, who by the way is now defending him, is the one who's kind of taking the the case, kind of knows how to work the system. And then that's kind of what he's using to break this thing open. Because if you know, if there are non-human intelligences, and they there have been that been that way for 80 years, and the US government has not shared that with the people. I know your belief is that most universally all ETs are friendly and things like that. My approach is a little bit more not nuanced, but I think just like people, there are civilizations or non-human intelligences that are aligned with humanity. And then I think there are others who are not aligned. And I think the ones that are not aligned can potentially be dangerous, I guess, just based on reports and things like that, like the, the David Jacobs of the world. And I don't want to discount those. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But the problem with the military kind of bringing this is, well, I might be in the middle. They're the opposite of kind of, I think, what your viewpoint is, right? They consider all threats, right? Right. Well, you know, I try not to put my own beliefs into this. I am stating what the actual first-time cases are showing. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say that this is a hostile phenomenon, show me the data. <laughs> show me. And you have to remember that there is disinformation in this field. Yeah, uh, There is misinformation. There are flat-out liars. We know this. And I see a lot of researchers putting forth their opinion on cases. And 
Bud Hopkins did this, who I think is actually a really good researcher. And he had witnesses telling him, this was friendly to me, it was benevolent. And he disagreed with the witness and their mm. own interpretation of their experience. So yeah, and I've talked to witnesses who felt like I didn't like this. But I would say 95%, none of them will say, oh, this is downright evil. No, I, it, it does happen, I've had a few. But the vast majority, no. This is, I don't put my own belief system. I don't edit people's stories in any right. aspect. Right. They don't. And so that's why I'm a little bit taken aback by some of the ET threat narrative, which he pushed, David Grush did. Well, the other, th the, other, the other thing that is important to note, though, he implied, I don't think he actually said, but he implied that they had actually killed people. But he didn't, nobody... Again, most journalists are pretty bad, right? So nobody said, well, wh why did they do that? W were they fired upon? Like, did we fire upon them first? Yeah. Right? So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that. That was superior... sort of implied. Because <laughs> Grush said, oh, yeah, some people were injured when trying to break into these things or investigate them, which I thought was interesting. And I also thought it was interesting. He's like, because he was asked flat out, are these ET? You know, are these alien? And he started to waffle a little bit and said, mm, well, let's call them non-human intelligence. I think either they don't know. I think either they don't know or there's multiple. Well, if they're from if, multiple if sources. Bodies, you know, if there's a humanoid bodies, you can, that is an entity. That's a person. You can call it an extraterrestrial if you saw the darn pictures. I don't know quite why he's kind of waffling. well maybe right like if they it, that implies that they come from another star system right they could also be did here you on earth speak on that they're coming from a what did he say physics show that there could be a co-physical i mean oh he was speaking complete scientific gobbledygook no i i i i've i've heard i've heard this before so it's hmm. Here, let, me, let me explain an example. And again, I don't, I'm just, I'm just trying to have an open mind. I, I, I think it's ETs are perfectly likely. I, I, th I think there's kind of the multiple. Best fits the evidence. I mean, calling it something interdimensional is a little bit ridiculous because we are interdimensional. I mean, we've talked about out-of-body experiences before. What yeah. is interdimensional? If these are physical craft, He's saying we have crashed act, the actual craft, the bodies. And they, they live in another physical dimension other than the third dimension. The third dimension is the third dimension. Or what is he talking about? A fourth dimension that's physical? Physics does not support that. He's saying quantum or, or, it could, or, or it could just be, imagine, or again, this is all speculation. Imagine a re our reality vibrates at a certain frequency, right? So all of us, like from your from the lowest quark all the way up to DNA and all that stuff vibrates at certain resonant frequencies. So like DNA, I think it's resonant frequency is like in the megahertz frequency spectrum. But imagine if like when you're looking at a fan, right? When it starts to spin at an insane speed, you don't see it anymore. You just see kind of right through it. So what I think he's saying is that reality might be like you're on a radio station right and you just tune different frequencies 
and everything is co-located at the same place all at once. And then you just tune those frequencies and move somewhere else. And you're well, essentially in a different reality. Well, that's complete speculation. He has no idea. Uh, of course. So, oh, well, he, he might. Well, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't portrayed it, but he, you know, he might, he, you know, he might, who knows? Right. I don't know. But anyway, in terms of, we could speculate all day long on, because he, like even the, the Bledsoe experience, right? Like Bledsoe doesn't think they're ETs. You know, he describes them as angelic light beings, something like that. And they very well could be, but that's a part of the phenomena that the military community, or at least the intelligence community is very aware of because they locked him down as soon as he started talking about that stuff and putting out prophecies and that started coming true. They locked him down for 10 years. So that might be part of some of the things that Grush, but I, I think there's a spectrum of phenomena that some of it is off world. Some of it's just more evolved beings that are involved. I don't know. Uh, but well, it's clear a lot of stuff gets put under the UFO umbrella that might not belong there. But on the other hand, there's well, the, the Ray Hernandez thing, though, right? Like says it's all part of the same thing, right? I could not disagree more. <laughs> oh, really? Truly, because I think there's a tendency to say all oh, this. That's a very anthropocentric theory. It puts us at the center of the darn universe, saying this is all about us. Everything that's manifesting here is, you know, having. You know, it's the Jacques Vallée, John Keel, Lauren Coleman, or Jerome Clark theory that this is an intelligence that's putting on different guises. And then you start putting everything there, like ghosts. You know, this is like demonic theory. Any ghost you see is not your Aunt Linda or whatever. (laughs) That is another facet of a demonic force that is influencing us. And we know from history that anthropocentric theories almost always fall by the wayside it's i think that i I think that's kind of where the i think that's where the intelligence community that's why you're hearing grush talk like he's talking because i think that's the the resistance to the extraterrestrial hypothesis and i hate calling that is absurd because look at us we are physical beings on a planet we know this Mm -hmm. and it's inescapable that there would be others out there the universe is far too vast. And we're seeing craft that appear on radar that are leaving landing traces where the ground is heated to 3,000 degrees. Look at the trans Provence case, the landing. You know, look at the Lani Zamora case, the Delphos, Kansas case. We have really good evidence that these are craft. This is what's so interesting to me about testimonies like David Grush's is we do have these craft. I think that there's enough whistleblower cases to say that we have the craft, we have the bodies, but that evidence is not in the public arena. This is the best, mm-hmm. most conclusive, all bets are off evidence. We know what this is. This is ET, but it's purely anecdotal when it comes to the crash retrievals. We don't have the darn craft in available to the public arena. So this is what's so frustrating to me about this. They know what it is. They absolutely know what it is. And I agree with David Grush when he said this has been covered up for 90 years. Yeah, I think that's about right. Some of the stuff that I don't agree with, but I agree with that.
So why do you think, I know I asked this earlier, but I'll ask it again. Like why now though? Like my sense is that, I mean, do you, do you think our government's driving this or do you think there's an external event that is on its way that is forcing their hand? Cause this feels, this feels rushed. It feels like they're trying to get ahead of something and they're being reactive but that doesn't mean necessarily mean that's the case. What's your view on that? I agree. I think that just one of the driving forces behind disclosure is the huge amount of evidence out there, all the researchers, all the witnesses, the fact that these ETs have been flying around for so long. It's reached a point where if our government doesn't take steps towards disclosure, they're going to become not credible irrelevant to this subject well they're already not credible i i and i like i think i mean this is a whole other let's let's take recent events right the the petrodollar is starting to slowly go away right so the u.s dominance and power in the world is in the last two years has diminished more than i've seen it degrade in the last 50 right? The petrodollar is in peril because we went overboard with sanctions against Russia, like doing things that scared other countries that like if they did business in dollar denominated currencies, the US can really be insidious about what they can do. And I'm not saying I'm not defending Russia at all. What they did was completely immoral and wrong. But we went a little overboard we destroyed one of their pipelines, which is a direct act of war. Now, you know, when Seymour Hirsch reported that everybody poo-pooed it, that's how you know it's true, which is, you know, a deliberate act of war that put us in peril of nuclear retaliation. We have heads of state committing crimes in terms of mishandling classified information, stretching all the way back to Hillary Clinton, Mike Pence, Joe Biden. But there's one guy, again, I'm not a Trump fan at all. I don't, you know, again, I don't. But the fact that we have a sitting president who has taken money from the Chinese government and also mishandled classified information and investigating his chief rival for the exact same crime is highly not credible in terms of legitimacy and rule of law. And again, I'm not picking on Democrats and Republicans because Republicans are rallying behind this as well. Right. And again, take what you will, like remove your feelings about Trump. If Bernie Sanders were in the same situation, the same thing would be happening to him because he's an outsider. He's someone who is outside of this military industrial complex. In terms of news, even with this particular story, the major news networks are so captured by the national security state that they're not even reporting on the biggest news story in human history. Right? There are millions of people out there who have no idea who David Grush is or that any of this stuff happens. And I think what you're seeing is the internet led to such a democratization of information that the powers that be are losing their grip on power. And they're doing all sorts of crazy things to try to get it back by through censorship, through 
disinformation and things like that. And I think it's really coming to a head. And I think, frankly, this is the only opportunity they have to regain any shred of legitimacy that they once held on to. And they're blowing it. They're blowing it badly. And I think in terms of people who follow this topic, and again, I I don't really know how to do this. Maybe the CE5 thing is really all we have, is I would just urge people, Americans, to directly engage with the phenomena. There's no point in going through these clowns because they're they're not going to share anything. They're going to lie and they're not trustworthy. And this is the biggest lie of all time. Yeah, you know, I can't prove this, but I suspect that David Grush was sanctioned. You know, I think he's probably part of this whole process. It's clear disclosure is very tightly controlled. This, again, is not disclosure in terms of, you know, governments admitting to the reality of this. While we do have Congress saying, oh, the UAPs might be extraterrestrial, that's not disclosure. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I agree with you. We're not going to get disclosure from the Pentagon or the people who are behind this cover up because they've never told the truth on this, not once, and they're not doing it now. I have well, no I mean, they haven't told the truth on. <laughs> I mean, we just had like a, a revision on the economic data, right? <laughs> like, I mean, lying—they made a mistake, right? <laughs> They're lying about everything, and. I mean, literally at this point, when I want to find out, I mean, here's another example. You heard about the Army's recruiting crisis, right? They're still actively considering scrapping an entire division. You won't hear that in the news. Like you have, to, I have to call people and find out what the hell's going on because I can't read an American newspaper and expect to read the truth. I mean, for again, I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to be political here, but like when Ross Cothart was talking about when he was asking an interview about like, you know, why should we believe this when, you know, the intelligence community is not offering us any proof. And then he kind of came back with the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which is a meta moment, right? Because that's a lie. Like for 20 years, we found chemical weapons in Iraq. It was reported in October, 2014. But that lie has been perpetuated by the media for so long. And it's not even a lie because they actually believe it. But the New York Times reported in October 2014 that we found 2,400 sarin rockets in Iraq. But I think the reason the intelligence community allowed that lie to continue is because they likely didn't find it all. So they didn't want to advertise that there was still some left in the country. But the fact that Ross Coltart used that as an example of the government lying is like a meta moment, right? He bought into the disinformation. Hook, line, and sinker. And it's like people will sneer at you, but it's not true. But people believe a 20-year lie. And you had, at the time, one of the most reputable papers in the country reporting this information, and people just missed it. They still don't believe it, right? Imagine how hard it is to erase an 80-year lie. Anyway, I, I don't mean to. <laughs> well, that's part of the problem here. The UFO cover-up has gone on for so long. It's been the policy. They've painted themselves into a corner, admitting to the truth. I mean, there's just no way. <laughs> well, Preston, they've killed people. They have murdered yeah. people. 
Yeah. Right. Not pushing forward. Oh no, the ETs are murdering people. When they, when I heard that, I'm like, okay, show me the evidence of that because that is just outrageous claims. I mean that that was truly happening. Mm. I, I mean, I don't even want to go there. The press- I think something. I, I think something is on the way, and I think they are scrambling to try to prepare humanity. But they're this is like probably, most. Uh, this is just pure. I don't trust it. I'm sorry, I don't trust it. And seeing David Rush sitting there, who's very well rehearsed, I noticed that. <laughs> and that could, I mean, that might not mean anything, but I do wonder if he was coached, if he was set up there. They're like, okay, you're officially sanctioned. You're going to play this role <laughs> as all the other people who are, because a lot of whistleblowers, I feel, are absolutely genuine. They're very emotional. They feel like they've gone to this at great risk. He did say, Rush that he had reprisals and stuff, but he seemed very kind of a little bit arrogant, a little blasé, <laughs> a little, mm, I just don't know. I don't want to read into somebody just based on pure intuition. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I'm a kind of like, let's just stick with the facts of what we know. But I'm curious to see how this all rolls out. And I don't think it's going to lead to disclosure. I don't. I think this is just one more whistleblower, one more carefully controlled propaganda on this whole subject speaking of aaro did you read their goals what the goals are for the <laughs> the six goals that they have no tell me tell me tell me, tell me. <laughs> it made me kind of cringe when i saw this the first three i get it which are basically analysis of the phenomenon ma- mapping it determining capabilities these sort of things but I think the fourth, fifth, and sixth were definitely cringeworthy. The fourth was, let me see if I can get this right, governance of the UAP phenomena. So, so I'm not sure what that means, but trying to, you know, basically boss the UFOs around, tell them what they can and can't do, what airspace they're violating. The other was mitigation. I'm like, okay, well, good luck with that. If you, because we clearly are not as advanced as these ufos mm-hmm. call them what you want i think 3t for the most part are far more advanced than us they're flying circles around our missiles our planes anything we got good luck mitigating that we can't shoot them down there's no way any claims of that i think are just blatant disinformation and if i think the last goal was ob- obtaining their technology well we you know from the crash retrievals that's already occurred and I think most of what we're seeing now is probably reverse engineered craft. So now when someone sees a UFO, we really have to be very careful. Is this us? You know, is this our own government doing this or is this ET? And that came up in loud and clear when Stephen Greer was interviewing his whistleblowers just this week. It's like, this is ours, this is theirs, ET. So, yeah, this is, I mean, the waters are muddy, muddy, muddy right now. What do you make of, because the other thing that good disinformation agents do is they muddy the waters with a lot of just disinformation to help reduce the credibility of, of folks. So almost immediately after the David Grush revelation, there was this crash in Las Vegas with the 10 foot tall beings, like 
my antennae went up on that one, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think of it? Like, do you think that's kind of part of the disinformation engine kind of kicking into gear or what? Well, I'm not there to investigate. And let me just preface that. <laughs> I hope that there are professional investigators looking into it. But there was a meteor, from what I understand, that did come down. And you could see the footage of it. It does look like a meteor to me. Uh, I did watch the testimony from the kid. I don't know. There's a lot. I have a, a lot of questions surrounding this. I thought the time. They've was- also gone dark, too. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. And, and And there were people who questioned them police who questioned them according to that kid and i think someone interviewed the i think ashley banfield banfield on benfield wherever her name is on news nation interviewed the sheriff and he's like we never sent a team yeah so, <laughs> so i don't know based on the descriptions of what these guys said they saw i i don't buy it i know that there's fake footage saying oh this is what was in their backyard which it's not <laughs> Because, I mean, you can see right away the backyard is different from what's this footage that's all over the internet of this clearly CGI sort of mantis-looking thing. And he describes this thing as having a huge mouth. Well, that you almost never hear that in true contactee reports. It's a tiny... Yeah, it's very small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, eh, the whole thing, I've got a lot of questions. I'd love to sit down with these witnesses and grill them. Not grill them. Well, you know, question them. <laughs> about it but i am just going to stand back and see how this rolls out i'm not really even on the fence i don't know we'll see i don't again i i can't say anything because i haven't investigated it yeah yeah you don't you don't want to you don't want to presume that somebody's has malintent right but like the oj trial you know i wasn't there on the jury so I'm i'm not really entitled to an opinion but i think (laughs) you know from what we all saw of that we know all that what happened if the glove fits you must acquit (laughs) or the glove does not fit whatever yeah i don't know i don't know but very strange that that got so much attention you know another like i mean that i did i do believe that got on tv yeah uh, well so that's weird why would that event get on tv when there was no really good solid evidence of you no know, where's the picture of the team and why did it happen why did it happen in las vegas which is very close to nellis air force base and you know there's a lot of questions it may have been a little just innocent hoax that got out of hand yeah it could be that yeah i mean there's a, all sorts of explanations it could be a real incident i don't know but i guess we'll see at some point, unless it'll just fade away like a million other incidents that come and go. Yeah, I think it'll it'll fade away. But even like organizations like MUFON, right? They're captured, right? You you heard what happened with in the Bloodsoe case. There was a local field investigator for MUFON. It was a good, honest man, and once he submitted his report, national got involved and they ended up doing i think a show with the discovery channel so when bloodsoe showed up to do this interview he was immediately ushered into a polygraph test by the fbi as part of the show right like who does that 
I mean, that's just a, like an ambush. Like he had no idea he was going to be polygraphed and this and that. Yeah, that was the and, Hangar One TV show, I think. I think that's. A- I can't remember. I can't remember what. what well, that, that's a whole other like the Ray Hernandez story. Mufon just sold the the rights to his story to whoever did that the Hangar One story because. Again, I read this in American Cosmic. I had no idea. Like, if you report something on MUFON, they own the rights to that story. So, there's been a that's lot messed of- up. Yeah. Well, you know, APRO was really the first organization of any influence and size aerial phenomena research organization by Jim and Coral Lorenzen. And that was way back in, I think, the late 1940s that they really started to become active in investigating. It was the first influential UFO group. And they had infiltration right away. They caught a CIA guy on their team. Yeah. Uh, and many of them were being followed, investigated. And of course, the history of NICAP is equally dismal. That completely broke apart due to intelligence officers coming in and taking over. And MUFON's leadership has changed many times with some major allegations against some of the guys in there. I know people who are involved with MUFON who are not happy. I eventually kind of withdrew. I'm still a member. I support MUFON. I, think I know. That's- I, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's why I wanted to be very clear. There are the vast majority of people there are good people or good, yeah. honest people. I speak at MUFON it, groups all the time. I spoke for National MUFON and they treated me very well and they did not censor me in any way. And, you know, I did take their field investigator test very early in 1988 years ago i still pay my month you know my monthly dues it's a good organization in terms of the people involved but it's absolutely being watched i'm sure it's infiltrated this is a subject that's taken very seriously by high levels of government we know this they're watching ufo researchers we know this every person who delves into this subject with any degree of seriousness probably has a file in intelligence agencies they're watching contactees i know this for a fact i've seen it you know my recent book symmetry with dolly saffron she had a real problem with that they follow her around i watched it happen when we went to a conference together we rented an airbnb (laughs) away from the conference this was at the let me see if i can get this right the mega often megacon i think it was called and we we're a couple of miles, you know, some miles from the actual conference and driving home one evening to this little Airbnb we'd rented some miles away. And there were several side streets that you had to go down. And I'm like, Dolly, somebody's following us, I'm pretty sure. Because after going through four or five streets off the main highway, well, person was following us. Could be a coincidence, but no, I'm sure it wasn't. Because as I pulled into the driveway and walked in, this car stopped in front of the driveway and blocked it and parked and glared at us. What? This is just. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They wanted you to know that they were following you. Yeah. And she'd already sent me loads of evidence. Her case has loads of evidence, you know, photographic. Well, medical, can can you describe the car? Like what, what the car and the, the people in the car? Couldn't really see the figure that well. I believe it was dusk at that point. And there were two. There's always two, right? I, th- I couldn't tell you. I think it was just one, honestly. The windows were tinted. Mm. It was just a sedan, a white s- sedan, if I remember correctly. I'll have to ask Dolly about that, but it wasn't your 
you know, white van or anything. <laughs> but yeah, this is my point is contactees are followed. They're observed. They're under surveillance. I talked to another lady. She had her hypnosis tapes stolen. Someone broke into her house and didn't steal her stereo or her camera equipment or anything. They took her hypnosis tapes. Another guy in upstate New York. I told him, you know, write down your experiences in a file. This is the first step if you're having experiences. Write them down. Because, you know, you can forget this stuff. And keeping a you know, memory is tricky. And you forget details pretty quickly. This has been proven. So he wrote it all down and put it on his mantle. Someone broke into his house and stole that. He called the police and they're like, well, you know, it's just an envelope. It's not really valuable. He's like, well, yeah, it is. This is just another example. And there's case after case of this, of people who've you know, taken pictures of UFOs and boom, someone breaks in, and steals all the footage. So, and yeah, UFO researchers have looked into the, Jim and Coral Lorenzen found out, they had an in into the intelligence agencies, found out they had sizable files on both of them. And I had some evidence of that. I was called and threatened once as a very young investigator. <laughs> in the early 1990s, someone called and had me identify myself as you know, the UFO researcher and threatened me. Said, but what you're doing is dangerous. You're barking up the wrong tree. You should not be doing this. You don't know what you're getting into. And I went back and forth with him. He was very evasive. Yeah, it's like, well, what am I getting into? Tell me, what am I getting into? That's exactly what I said. Nothing. Not what you think it is. I'm like, well, what is it? Yeah. It's dangerous. And, he said, and I'm like, okay. How so? How so? Yeah, exactly. And then he started going back, well, it's not what you think it is. And I'm like, well, what is it? And he said, there's nothing to it. There's no pay dirt there. Then why are you calling me? <laughs> exactly. That was my thought. Right. At that point, I was just getting exasperated. And I eventually hung up, feeling a little bit flattered, like, okay, well, at least they're noticing me. Because uh, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to be on there. You don't want to be on that radar. No, I don't. But this was during the Topanga Canyon UFO wave, and I had called the police and gave them my number. So I was getting calls from the police station or from people who were referred by them to me. I was putting up flyers. <laughs> I was cold calling people. I was going door to door. I was going to find out what was going on there because it was a huge wave of sightings with every aspect of the phenomena happening from landings and people being taken on board and cars being chased down the highway. And you know, there was one lady who was being taken by the ETs and she's, I found this secondhand. This is hearsay, but her friend told me, because you know, I wanted to interview her and she said, no, I don't want to be interviewed because she had government people show up and demanded that they that she allowed them to interview her and she said no and they said well you have to <laughs> no you don't <laughs> that's what they told her she was under yeah I, I would well i, I don't want to say that. the first thing you always ask for is id who do you represent and if they don't tell you then you just say have a nice day and close the door in their face right unless they have a warrant and they can show you a warrant Go pound sand. Yep. I've always but, been very open with my research. If you want to know, just ask me. I'm putting it all out on YouTube. I'm putting it in my books. Got nothing to hide. But this is an important subject. And this secrecy surrounding it is, I don't think, helping anyone. If someone wearing, like, you know, kind of comes to your house 
and is acting menacing, making demands and things like that. Go pound sand, go away. Yep. I right. Agree. Happy to have a, have a friendly conversation, but if you won't tell me who you represent and why you're here, your intent is to intimidate me. So go pound sand. Yeah, I agree. The truth right? is going to come out one way or another. You know? And the other thing, too, is you can always turn it on them, too. Like, look, how do I know you're not a Russian agent? Do you think it's a good idea for me to talk to somebody who's a suspected Russian agent? And they're like, oh, we're not. We're not. Well, then why wouldn't you tell me who you are? Right. Right? Just turn it on them. So what do you think happens in the, the next next few days and months? I think this is going to fade off into the background and we'll eventually have another whistleblower marching forward. Like I said, the truth, the evidence is it's massive. We have an incredibly large database of information. I think the cover-up is eventually going to collapse under its own weight of lies because sooner or later, someone's just going to be enough is enough. I think the government's more likely to collapse than or will collapse sooner than that'll happen. It might get real ugly. <laughs> I don't know. Because governments yeah. you know, rise and fall themselves. You know, there are revolutions. We see it all the time. I think there's so much <laughs> corruption at this point that it's not it's not I think they are clinging, they are clinging for their I mean, you just can't trust anything they do or say. I mean, and again, this is not partisan. This is just I don't care what political party you are. You're lying, you're lying to the American people. So I, I've gotten to the point where I just hate politics because it's so corrupt. I almost swore there because <laughs> it gets yeah. me up. <laughs> yeah, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to point at one party or another because they're all. I mean, <laughs> you got one guy who got elected by lying to everybody. Like he's not, <laughs> I don't even think he's an American, right? Like Santos, <laughs> I think he's from Brazil, but he's still, he's still in Congress. Like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's, that's a good example <laughs> right? like, I, I don't, I mean, it is such a clown show that like how is that possible the fact that that's even possible in, in our democracy look I don't think I think what's going to happen is the more we delve into this the more we're going to learn that we have not been a republic since 1947 after 1947, after the National Security Act. And the only reason it seems like it's unraveling right now is because of the internet. The democratization of the internet is what's led to all these leaks and, and people talking to each other. And they're cracking down on that. There are stories that are promoted. There are stories that, I mean, this Grush incident is a perfect example. Like the mainstream media outlets are barely touching this, right? Washington Post, you know, nothing. New York Times, nothing. Wall Street <laughs> Journal, nothing. Well, we'll see. I think at some point it probably will break. Well, they're going to have to. They're going to have to because it's, there's going to be, on the one hand, you have pressure from the national security state saying we're not going to provide you with any more access if you report on this. On the other hand, you have money. And the money is tuggy. Like people want to read about this stuff. People want to learn more about this stuff. So, yeah. Well, here's the, here's my issue. If he was a true, honest to God whistleblower, telling true secrets and had actual evidence, he wouldn't be there. He would be dead. You know, 
because we know how ruthless these guys are. And it, I think it goes back farther than 1947, honestly, because if you look at the distribution of wealth and the corporations, and I mean, certainly that's when it ramped up. And what do you make of this Mussolini UFO, the magenta? Have you ever heard that story before? No, I haven't. I haven't looked into it in any depth. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, because apparently like a team from the OSS, the Office of uh, Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, recovered it in 1944. The Pope, the Vatican. By the way, the Vatican knows a lot. Like the Vatican has a huge archive about this kind of stuff. Um, There's 10 or 20 of these craft. No, if you look at the research of Bob Wood who's one of the guys who really looked into this it's a lot more than that you know i wrote books on various states california colorado nevada new mexico and arizona they all had crash retrieval cases new mexico had a 10 or 20 of them so it's far more than you know 10 or 20 it's hundreds so i'm just based on my estimation from whistleblower accounts what amazes me though is there's no nothing's ever come out about an official designated unit that does these things. You would think there would be like a specialized unit that handles these things. Cause look, there's going to be some radioactive materials in some of these crashes, potentially there's going to be special handling protocols that you have to One follow. One guy told me that it's called an Omega three. I think he called it because he was invited into it, but he said, no, I don't want to do it because they said you can't have any relationships. You can't tell anybody. This is going to be, you know. What was his background? He was an officer on the USS Kid, which I verified. I found, I looked it up. All right. So a naval officer. Okay. I forget what his rank was, but it wasn't just, you know, a private or anything. I honestly forget. I have to look it up. Do you know what he did on the USS Kid? Oh, God. He wasn't like a C. Well, that sounds like pre-seal. It sounds more like no. He wasn't intelligent. UDT, and he wasn't intelligence. He wasn't. I think he was. You know, I I, I can't say. I don't remember. Honestly, I'd have to look it up. I talked to so many people. <laughs> this, will, this will sound strange, but did he have any? I think he worked in electronics. Oh, oh I would. That would make sense because maybe. There's certain techniques that they use to track these things. If you believe John Ramirez, like the S-300 surface-to-air missile systems that the Russians have, have something called a UFO mode hmm. that tracks very fast-moving objects. So, you know, whether or not it was created to track only UFOs, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they just call it UFO mode, but. I don't know, but interesting. People, I'm like, yeah, I've interviewed quite a few people in the military. There was another guy, Jim Kubelbeck, who was on the what was it called, the Valley Forge? Mm-hmm. They had UFOs show up, sent everyone below deck and said, don't talk about it. He went up on deck and looked at these things through binoculars, called the office, you know, the bridge. And Basically, they said, oh, no, there's nothing out there. And he's like, listen, I'm looking at it right now. So <laughs> you're going to have to call back. And he called back and they said, they said, no, you didn't call us. He's like, yes, I called you. This guy was, this is the guy I spoke with. Turned out a helicopter had come that day and chipped him off with, for what, leave or something, which was a ridiculous, because that just doesn't happen. You don't bring a helicopter for 
<laughs> the whole story was absolutely absurd. Of course, and it wasn't in the daily sheet the next morning, which he thought it would be. Yeah, Jim Kubelbeck, he ended up, he thinks, being taken on board on that night because he, he was up there with 10 other officers. And the next day, none of them, except one, even remembered seeing UFOs at all. Completely forgot. Mm hmm He's like, you were there with me. You know, I opened up my binoculars. You all looked at it. And like, I don't remember that. So clearly missing time. That was a strange incident. Yeah. Where, where did that happen and when did that happen? I believe that was in the Mediterranean. And that would be, God, don't quote me. I think it was early 70s, 72, 74. You know, I looked it up to see if, you know, his testimony was right. And it was. The ship was there at the time he said it was. Like verified his employment. You always want to do that to the extent that you can to vet a witness. Yeah, I spoke to him just a couple of years ago because he's trying to find the other witnesses that were there. And what do you make of this story in Indonesia where the Marines saw a group of special ops type people loading a craft with either drugs or bodies? No, I'm not sure I know of it. Was this recent? It was one of the Greer. Oh, testimonies oh oh yeah i don't know that don't seems know. really <sighs> i don't know what to make of you know some people with guru's testimony some of them were very compelling I mean, they're clearly emotional i suspect that yeah they've had these experiences but i am just so jaded i guess i'm suspect because i don't know who these people are i haven't interviewed them personally it's like when people put this footage on the internet, like, look, I saw this, and it's a clip. A UFO, you don't get the beginning, you don't get the end. There's no testimony behind it. I, I'm not going to make any statements on someone whose testimony I haven't had the opportunity to review in depth. But yeah, I thought some of those guys were clearly sincere, very emotional, quite upset. So I found it really compelling, several of those guys. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to because again, one of them was at they had a sighting at Fort Irwin, and he said his colleagues acted as if it was totally normal, like oh they're one of ours and things like that. And I lived on that post for five years. I was in the desert all the time, and you know, granted I wasn't looking for it, but I never saw anything, and there was never this kind of blasé attitude about, oh, yeah, if you see a strange craft in the air, it's just one of ours, don't worry about it. Like, there was none of that at all. Hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, don't get me wrong, we would see strange stuff in the sky, but it was, you know, it would be like string of pearls propulsion, things like that, where you see like puff, 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 like puff, dash, puff, dash. But that's like ramjet technology, stuff like that. I I saw that once or twice, but that's you know perfectly perfectly within the realm of u.s technology to do stuff like that but never anything like that story that's not to say it didn't happen to him but i was there during the exact same time period never saw anything like that so yeah i don't know we know there's disinformation i don't know how much is real how much is not I know from the people I've interviewed, you know, because then you have the opportunity to, you know, see if they were truly employed there. You know, asked to talk to 
what would you call it? Not up, not so much corroborating witnesses, but someone who will stand up for them and say that this is an honest person. <laughs> There's a word for it. I'm trying to find them. Oh, I think he was definitely there. Like he was using language that, you know, I I read I re like when he would talk about locations and things like that. I'm like, okay, I know exactly where that is. I know exactly where that is. Even stuff that sounded crazy when he talked about like he said something about Star Wars in the very beginning, and there's a building that we called the Star Wars building, right? Oh. So like, I don't doubt that he was there during that time. It's just the story was. But then again, like the the unit that he worked with, I had no interaction with whatsoever, right? But the unit that they interacted with, I had some interaction with like when he was, he was talking about observer controllers and things like that. So I interacted with those guys a little bit. But well, Stephen Greer feels like he's sticking to his guns and trying to push this forward. It's, you know, suing the government and Grush as well. I, I, expect we're going to be hearing more from him and but again do you think there's anything external that's driving this like an event that's coming yeah i do there's a lot of buzz in this field about a false flag a fake alien invasion oh this is project blue beam yeah all along those lines and to hear grush saying oh you know this these could be dangerous you know these we don't know if these are all friendly i'm like well yeah we do <laughs> Look, they've been around for millennia. We have a good handle on the, quote, ET agenda. If you talk to the major researchers, you will hear the same things I've been saying. When people are taken on board, they're healed. They're shown the yeah. engine room. They're taken up to the observation deck. They're put into the control room, sat down in the seat. They talk to these guys. They're given warnings against nuclear proliferation, against warlike ways, greed, corruption, chopping down of our forests, pollution of our waters. This is not an ET threat. If they really wanted to, we would know by now that they, I mean, that's speculation, granted, but from I don't have any good evidence that these guys are here to take over. It's ridiculous. Well, I think it's almost, I don't even think it's a false flag imposed deadline. I think there's something on the way that's not necessarily a threat at all and i think it's almost like a non-human driven disclosure event that's coming and i think the government is scrambling to try to get the population ready because they screwed up because it's going to destroy their credibility when something shows up and they're like yeah we've been here all along you don't know about us <laughs> well wh why don't you know about us and the government sitting there holding that bag, right? Yeah. It's an inevitability. Two things: disclosure will happen. It probably isn't going to be from a sitting government. It's just—it's definitely not coming from a sitting government. I agree with you. I don't know. That could it might it could come from you know Chile, Brazil, Mexico. They've been more forthcoming than a lot of other governments. But I still think they're sitting on a lot of information. But at some point, the truth has—I mean, you can distort it, you can hide it. But as it piles up, there's a, a wall, you know, it's a freaking avalanche. It's just going to come pouring down and crush all the lies because truth cannot be destroyed. You can hide it for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to come out, I think. And also, yeah, open official contact. If we are 
truly being visited, at some point there's going to be an incident that can't be covered up. We're not alone in this universe. I think that evidence shows that in huge. And people say, oh, disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. The ETs have done it. And I would point to the thousands, thousands of landing trace cases. I would point to the bunches and bunches of radar return cases, all the displays over schoolyards and movie theaters. Look at the turkey footage. I don't know if you've ever looked into the turkey footage. Is that is that the one with occupants on the craft that you can see in the video? Yeah. 2007, yeah. 8, and 9. That has never been debunked. It's outstanding footage. It's like, again, a clear display of the ETs disclosing. They have disclosed. People are saying, well, why, why don't they land? There was a case I just looked into, Donald Shellcross, who had a UFO land next to him. This was in North Carolina years ago. And he asked them flat out, why don't you just show yourselves to everyone? And their answer from the ETs was, we have. <laughs> and that's true. How? You know, I think it's about 10 to 20% of people in the U.S. claim to have had a UFO encounter of some kind, sighting or more. And it's well over 50% now, according to Gallup polls and other polls, believe that we are being visited. Even more believe our government is hiding <laughs> UFO information. So Yeah, I, I, I just wish I would have something that that wasn't, like, ambiguous and... <laughs> subtle like because i even on twitter i'll what i what i typically see once a week i'll see a flash in the sky just a flash but i see it once a week and it's usually when i'm like looking off to the side and i'll, I'll see a flash i'll turn enough just to see it wink wink and wink out so i reached out on twitter to mick west because i wanted to understand what are common things that you could use to debunk that because I want to be objective. And one of them is if there's a meteor coming directly at you, right? There's something you think you call a bolide. And then another is like a glint off of a satellite, right? Which it could very well be. So until I get something that's a little bit more robust than that, I'm just going to say, yeah, it's probably a glint off of a satellite, right? So anyway, I know you've had some similar frustrating experiences where it could be something like that, but it's... yeah. If it's ambiguous, I, I'm not going to say it's ET, exactly, but exactly, exactly. Ultimately, I mean, yeah, you can believe whatever you want until you actually experience it. You don't know because true knowledge right. comes really solely from experience. I mean, it really does. I, I get that you can study a subject up and down sideways and, and pretty much know, but that's not experiential knowledge. Until you've been on board the craft, you're not going to know what it's like. You know, until you've tasted milk, you can people can describe the taste of milk all they want. You have to drink it. Well, add add, and if you remember, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Right. There's some cases like that. I'm sure you know about where they people suspect, but until they undergo hypnotic regression or something happens to catalyze that memory. But I think there's a lot more people who have experienced that they just don't know. hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, a lot of contactees I've interviewed, including Dolly Saffron, but yeah, a guy, Gary, I'll call him in England. says that everyone has had contact at some level. The vast majority don't remember. I can't sit, speak to that because I don't know, but to he hear multiple people telling me that, I think there's validity to it because I thought this was extremely rare. 
And I heard a quote from Jalen Hynek very early on that said, one in 40 people have been taken on board. I thought, you're out of your mind. There's just no way, because I would know people. I know 40 people. And I didn't have to ask 40. And this was just my family, friends, and coworkers. And I found people who'd been taken on board. So yeah, I think it's at least as common as that. And that's what the Roper poll found. Mm -hmm. 1991, I believe it was, where they took did a huge survey asking people all these questions with the secret questions hidden in there to determine you know, if they've had contact, which is, you know, marks on your body or unexplained healings or orbs or missing time and UFO sightings and so forth. And they found one in 50. So it's clearly far more common. And we know, you know as a researcher, I always ask, did you report your sighting? Because people say, oh, you know, it wasn't in the newspapers the next day. And I thought it would be front page news. And I said, well, did you report it? And they said, well, no. I'm like, did you report it to MUFON? And they'll say, like, what's MUFON? <laughs> yeah. It's so, and I, I would say about one in a hundred, honestly, will officially report it to the police, Air Force, or UFO organization. And even that goes into a little bit of a black hole. This is one of the problems that people have told me about MUFON. They report it, nothing is done. But I mean, I, get that what can you do <laughs> i think you're better off reporting it to the police because mufon again like they're just going to take your report and make money off of it <laughs> when i when i read about that 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 was really disturbing and and they might couch it in a different way like the ray hernandez story it was a very positive encounter for him and it was couched as a menacing like alien invasion of his household and things like that in Hangar One, that happened right? To me not too long ago on a very popular TV show that was featuring USOs. And I spoke about an encounter, which was very friendly for the witness. He says it wasn't fearful at all. And they said, he's scared every day that it's going to happen again. And they're terrorizing him. Like, mm, I never said that. So... This Hollywood. is an example of the ET threat narrative that's being put forth. Yeah, fear sells, but I think it's more than that. I'm concerned about it because it's, hmm, there's no good at, well, I don't, don't want to repeat myself. <laughs> uh, we'll see. All right, well, all right, Preston, I know I kind of asked you about a billion questions, so it's always amazing to talk to you and we are living in interesting times for sure. So thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. It's a very interesting time to be in this field for sure. Uh, it's definitely moving a lot more quickly than it was when I first got in this field. So it's pretty interesting. Let's just hope it keeps moving. So thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.